Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. We are deep into the Autumn Nations and Scotland almost pulled off a historic victory at the weekend but once again fell short alan is there something comforting about scotland putting in a brave performance but not quite getting over the line i don't know whether comforting i think it's there's something you know this is what it's meant to be and you know it was interesting i was looking back at the whatsapps we were having during the game i think in the 55th minute you sent a whatsapp saying how are we going to lose this? <laughs> Which, you know, fundamentally, I think is exactly what happened, right? I actually don't think New Zealand went out and sort of won that last 20. I think it was it was slightly more that through a, a mix of sort of penalties and unforced errors, we did actually end up lo- um, losing it, which is which is a bit upsetting. But, you know, it's, it is what it is to be a Scotland fan, right? Absolutely. Matt, does it give you a sort of sense of, um, excitement for the RGs, or do you think it's uh, that sort of emotional effort that we got for New Zealand is going to be difficult to replicate? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I think if we if we can put in a similar performance of that kind of like middle 20, 30, then Argentina didn't actually look that impressive against Wales, then I think we should feel quite confident. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't know. It feels like that's the best we've played in quite a while. So, I'm I'm reasonably optimistic at the at the end of it, while still being like pretty gutted by the by the overall result. Absolutely, and we will get into that New Zealand game in detail, whilst also looking forward to the Argentina game. We're coming at you Thursday morning breakfast show, so we don't have the Scotland team quite yet, but we will talk about the likely fifteen that we will get. Of course, you can follow us on our socials at Thistle Rugby Pod on Twitter, Thistle underscore Rugby underscore Pod 
on Instagram and we will do an Autumn Nations sort of wrap up newsletter at the beginning of next week. Um, so get yourself onto Substack and subscribe over there. Um, I mean, we've, we've touched on it already just in the, in the intros, but Alan, do you want to give us sort of that, that overview of, of your sort of feelings and emotions from, from the game at the weekend? I think, you know, broadly it was sort of a game of momentum. And I think ultimately that sort of first 10 minutes, you know, everything was with New Zealand. And I think, you know, broadly we were sort of chatting a little bit in the WhatsApp group. It, we were sort of talking about this is, you know, this is a training run for New Zealand. And ultimately, you know, if we ship more than 60, is, is tuning out. And then you sort of see this massive shift where for 50 minutes, both in terms of, I think, you know, the momentum, but then also in terms of just the set piece and also just kind of even a little bit in, in, in terms of being clinical and attack, Scotland were on top. And actually in a lot of areas, New Zealand weren't able to get over the gain line and were sort of running out of ideas and sort of kicking it a little bit aimlessly, especially to sort of Doohan. And then there just seemed to be this shift. And I was, sort of around when sort of Hogg sort of dropped that high ball and a few decisions, whether it was sort of Doohan's knock-on, Dempsey's obviously yellow card started to sort of go against us. And there was just like a shift where for the first 20 minutes of that second half, all the unforced errors and all the penalties were going against New Zealand. And suddenly that just completely flipped and everything just started to go against Scotland. And it's just that sort of subtle shift around the sort of 60-minute mark that completely sort of shifted the game. And Scotland just didn't seem to be able to kind of grab the game by the scruff of the neck after that. I think once Dempsey went off, it just felt both from how Scotland were playing and the body language that maybe they didn't quite believe that they could kind of get, get this game back under control. Yeah. I mean, nine points up, 20 minutes to go, Matt. Scotland should have won that game, right? Yeah, I, I think so. It, I think it kind of comes back to that, that the mental side of the game that I just think a lot of the Scotland players aren't used to winning those sort of matches. And I, I admittedly it's New Zealand. No one's really used to it, but I think, uh, you know, if we compare it to if Ireland were in that position, I think they would have closed out that game quite nicely. Um, and it seemed as if when that tide started to turn, there was nothing that the Scotland players could, could really do about it. Um, I think that, the, the bench seemed to make a big impact in a way that I didn't necessarily expect. Um, so I felt like a lot of the um, New Zealand loose forwards who came on were making like far too easy yards in the contact. Um, the scrum seemed to start going New Zealand's way and Perinara just exerted a lot of control. And I actually thought our bench looked reasonably strong, but for whatever reason, they didn't seem to make that much of, of an impact. I think probably a little bit limited by, they were saying the fact that obviously Dempsey had to come on super early and then yep. Sutherland went off what, after about five minutes. Um, and then interestingly, one thing Tooney was saying in the press conference, which I hadn't quite realised, is obviously they didn't bring Ashman on until about nine minutes to go. But he was saying that one of their concerns was that if, they, if another back row went down, they needed, they wanted Fraser Brown to go into the back row. So he was ultimately kept on a lot longer than they initially anticipated because they needed him to sort of cover the back row for as long as possible. So just kind of interesting. And then you sort of had Nell and Johnny Gray, who probably aren't quite the sort of impact players. You know, Nell 
didn't quite manage to sort of change the change or, or improve kind of the scrum and Johnny Gray's maybe a little bit too much of sort of a passive player versus kind of some of the other players you could bring off the bench. So it's sort of a mix of that sort of composition of the bench and then also it's just kind of factors a little bit outside Tunis control and you know, mainly injuries that sort of meant that our bench just couldn't have the same impact as that New Zealand bench, especially Perinara, who came on, I think, like 57th minute and sort of injected a bit of urgency into that New Zealand team, right? Yes, replacing Scotland's own Finley Christie back at his back at his home stadium. He didn't actually have that good a game, to be fair. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was quite rubbish. It was nice. Didn't to see. want him anyway. <laughs> I did see. Did you guys see it? There was like a. It was one of like the New Zealand like uh, social media shows or something like that. They did like a quiz on Scotland with Finley Christie and got everything right. He knows. He just knows it. He's so Scottish. It's unbelievable. What sort of questions are we talking about? Um, it was all about like slang. It was like slang words. Um, the full national anthem. He had both verses of Fly of Scotland in his back pocket. Fair. He, he, also... Chris, he knew that Chris Patterson was the, uh, I think Chris Patterson was our top, top point scorer. Yeah, exactly. That was a big one. Chris Patterson's not, you know, not an international name really, you expect, unless you're really following Scottish rugby, I would say. So no, that's very fair. I mean, I, I literally, apparently couldn't say the full national anthem until about three years ago so yes (laughs) (laughs) obviously all the pre-match chat was about finn and the sort of scottish rugby psychodrama came in pretty solid performance you know i guess it's an open-ended question because you never know what tuny's going to do but do you think finn has now sort of come back and it's going to be pretty difficult for tuny to drop him now you would have thought I think so. And it, it, it felt as if it was quite a measured performance from Finn. Um, like he had a couple of nice touches in terms of those uh, sort of zip miss passes that we know he can, he can do. But apart from that, I felt like he brought us forwards into the game well, kicked well out of hand, kicked well from the tee. Um, so it wasn't as if he was sort of it, it, you know, running against the, the game plan or anything. Um, I think the the frustrating thing is that, you know, although I think he played well, it's our tries and our, our good play did often come from sort of individual bits of brilliance. Um, and it seems as if, particularly when we go through the phases, when we reach sort of six or seven and we're close to the opposition line, we, we just can't seem to get over the line and, and convert. And that seems to have been a bit of an issue for, for a while now, that we tightened things up and were close and turned over a countless amount of, of times, which is like, in the yeah. end, an absolute killer at the point where, you know, another try, even another penalty could have, could have sealed us the victory. Yeah, there's a sort of frustration where you sort of get within that sort of five, ten Sorry, I was reading. I was reading something else. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no worries. Yeah, there's sort of that frustration that once you got into that, there's a couple of times you got it with sort of within five, 10 meters and we sort of probably reined it in a little bit too much. And I think it's probably a bit surprising because you would have thought that probably Finn would um, would have taken a bit of control. And I think even Tooney was like, we needed to play a little bit further away from the ruck time. And fundamentally, we just, we weren't able to protect the ball enough in those sort of key moments, which I think ultimately is if we had got, you know, one of those two or three chances, you know, once you are 16 points ahead, it really does change the dynamic versus sort of nine points ahead. And you'd like to think we would have been able to hold that out. 
I guess one thing, whether it was Finn specific, but it certainly felt that this week, this weekend versus the other autumn tests and perhaps over the summer as well, we were managing to get, you know, Duhan and Darcy on the ball an awful lot more, um, which, you know, reached its benefits in terms of yards gained by Duhan and obviously Darcy just can't stop scoring, which, you know, I don't know whether that was Finn, Finn in himself, but it felt that, you know, we were able to actually have a coherent game plan that got our best players the hands on the ball. I, I, yeah, I, de- I definitely think that there, there was a plan to get Duhan more, more of the ball, but I mean, I think New Zealand also kicked pretty poorly and seemed for mm. some reason to kick like straight to Duhan, but you know, I think he, he broke like 11 tackles. He ran, I think, for over 100 metres. It's just madness that we don't basically give him the ball as much as possible. And even yeah. even like you could put him at the base of the scrum and let him run at a 10, for instance. He's like just as probably more effective than all of our back row in terms of carrying. Um, I mean, that, that's another point that I think we talked about the impact of the New Zealand bench, but but it did seem as if throughout the whole game, those New Zealand loose forwards, and I, I get it, Ardi Sevilla is, you know, arguably the best player in the world, making such easy yards and getting over the gain line, you know, making five, 10 metres with every single carry. Whereas I don't think our back row, and admittedly, you know, Watson went off, Dempsey didn't really get into the game that much. Couldn't seem to get us like that much go forward. And it, it relied a little bit more on, Duhan, for instance, Hogg with some nice bits in attack. Um, and that, that was a bit disappointing. It seemed maybe we've been like looking for a carrier for a while and it kind of felt like Matt Ferguson was the one to do it. But I, I don't think he actually had that much of an impact on the game in that facet. Mentioned his name a few times now. Obviously, it was a big defining turning point with about 20 minutes to go as well. That yellow for Dempsey, Allen. Worst w- rule in world rugby, the sort of the accidental knock-on, uh, sorry, the deliberate knock-on when you're tackling somebody. So, so I wasn't sort of able to listen to the, the commentary. So were the, was the referee saying, yeah, I appreciate it's accidental, but it's still a yellow card? Is that the sort of general narrative? I, 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 I don't know. I think it was more, it, it wasn't even that discussion. It was it, he was pretty straight. Frank, Frank Murphy was, yeah, exactly. Like it was pretty clear. It was, yep, deliberate knock on, and that's the other card. So that there was, was like, no yeah. real conversation about is he wrapping his arm? Is he looking to make the tackle? Because I thought when they when they rule. did this, I thought when they did the slow mo, there might have been mitigation because Dempsey doesn't look at the ball once. Like he exactly. is constantly looking at um, the, the the attacker. It's just one of those ones that you know is. Was it Maitland a few years ago that got caught with a pretty ropey one as well? Yeah, it was in the, that was in the 2015 World Cup quarters. Yeah. And it was just, I, I think, you know, fair enough. It's Maybe you could call it a penalty, that it affected the play. But it seems yeah. as if referees have been told to yellow card those things immediately. And I think that, that just seems dumb to me. There's, there's different contexts and there's different mm. ways of doing it. You can, deli- you can bat it down. But I think when you've got a hand that's coming in essentially like horizontally, not not in a downward movement. Yeah. Like 
I, I think it's we we can def, we can't say it was one hundred percent accidental because no. with all with all these things, you know, I, I was I was known back in the day to sort of have quite a flailing arm tactic of tackling, <laughs> maybe maybe to try and accidentally knock on the ball, and you know, it's you know Dempsey's obviously a pretty kind of street wise player, but I I don't think there was enough there to be able to call that a deliberate knock on, and it's having it has such a profound impact on the match. Yeah. such a key moment in such a key part of the pitch, right? That I, I think ultimately the Frank Murphy, who actually didn't think had a, that bad a game, to be honest, um, on the whole, I, I think he should have ultimately sort of taken a bit more of that into account. And, and I think a penalty is a pretty fair fair outcome there. It's not like it's a try scoring. Or, it's yeah. not like they were going to score a try either, right? There, there that, are, yeah, there, there are a few bits that... Do you remember when we... Where we pushed close pushed New Zealand close the last time and Kieran Reid knocked the ball out of I think it was Batty's hand yeah, close yeah, to the line yeah. got away with it if you look at someone someone had pulled up Scott Barrett's tackle on Hogg when he was close to the line um, and on Twitter and you can see that you know that Hogg then lifts the ball up to I think it might have been Price and Barrett's still on the ground and tackles him from an offside position on the ground, he's out of the game. Um, and then New Zealand get the turnover. It's just like, it's a it's a very savvy bit of play if you get away with it. Yeah, and yeah. It, that was almost like the difference on the day. Like New Zealand just knew how to how to get out of the line and we were, I don't know, a little, maybe a little bit naive at times. Hmm. I mean, as is now contractually obliged, I'm, I'm going to talk about Stuart Hogg's performance and nothing else. It seems to be nice uh, that he... Um, that seemed to be more of the old Stuart Hogg finding a bit of form at that sort of top level for Scotland. Apart from the first five minutes. Apart from the first five minutes. Where it was sort of that mix of the mis... I appreciate it's so much more difficult when you're sort of a fullback because you're so much more exposed on a missed tackle. But ultimately, in that sort yeah. of scenario where um, you've got a player who's almost at a stand almost at a standstill right you in, in whatever way you've got to get them down and then obviously he's sort of tracking back and you know he's the sort of player that clearly wants to make up for his mistake immediately mm. but ultimately in that way gives away a penalty which then leads to a field position that leads to a try but um but no you're absolutely right i think in terms of just his attacking play obviously made two pretty sort of critical breaks one for a try one for the one for the near try but then i think also just more generally in terms of his attacking play and also a bit of his sort of tactical kicking, it was it was definitely above a lot of his recent performances. Maybe, maybe since I'm trying to think, maybe maybe his best performance this year. We would say for Scotland. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Probably, I suppose that one-on-one tackle position has always been actually probably one of the weaker parts of his game. But- yeah. No, yeah, exactly. No, I thought he was. I yeah. thought he was much better. And and, the, it, and, and with the I, high ball, just going to say, yeah, I don't. I don't want to. No, I just say, on the high ball. I know I sort of mentioned earlier that a lot of kind of the momentum of the game kind of shifted a little bit around sort of you know fifty nine sixty yeah. minute mark when he sort of knocked it on. But actually, broadly, his he was quite good under the high ball. I think for him anyway. Yeah. During yeah. the course of that match. That's what at the other part of the of the field, you know, Richie Gray is getting an awful lot of plaudits this um, this week, quite rightly. Um, and Fraser Brown, they connected very well in the lineout, didn't they, Matt? Yeah, and I was I was kind of slightly surprised because, um, you know, we were we were surprised by the selection, 
And I think that we just haven't seen Fraser Brown or, or Richie Gray in a Scotland shirt for so long. Um, and, you know, I, I'd say historically, Fraser Brown's strengths have been around the pitch rather than at, at set piece. But he absolutely nailed, I think, I, I don't know what his lineup stats were in the end, but they, they must have been close to 100% on our, on our own ball. Um, and a lot of that went to Richie Gray. And I, I think Gray was also... Um, really good in, in the loose and the little bits that, that I saw, um, even as carries, he seemed to be like a lot more effective than, than he mm. maybe has been in recent periods. Um, it was just a shame. Like the, I think the, the line out, the execution was, was bang on and the decision-making as well, apart from when we tried to do that, when that sort of inside ball to Darcy at, yeah. Yeah, sort of halfway yeah. <laughs> at a point where, you know, we've been taking the ball well at two or three and mauling. And it, it just, it was the complete wrong call, wrong area of the pitch. It's the one, the one thing that sullies that, that good combination. 14 from 14 on the line outs. What was that, sorry? 14 from 14. In was the it 100%? I thought yeah. it might have been. That's, that's mad. And then the Richie, Gay, Richie Gray renaissance. Which, it's quite something, isn't it? Yeah, so we made an interesting point that I think, you know, the relationship between Tooney and the Scottish rugby public now seems to be sort of almost 100% negative. And actually, when it comes to something like Richie Gray, where I actually, I generally don't think, I, I didn't see anyway at the start of this Autumn Internationals anyone calling for Richie Gray to start no, for Scotland. No. And, you know, clearly Tooney has seen something in Richie Gray, especially sort of more recent recent um, form, and sort of shipped him into the team. And, and the fact that he wasn't even substituted, it was Grant Gilchrist that went off, right? You know, there's an argument suggesting Richie Gray at the moment is is Scotland's number one second row. and But Tooney doesn't seem to have, have got much credit for that, which I think is a pretty big call from him um, to sort of kind of bring him right back into the fold when you've, you do have quite a few sort of second rows in the wider squad that he could... Um, he could go out to that have got Scottish experience, right? I suppose the other tactical decision that certainly went down badly initially on online was when it was announced that Cam Redpath was, had sort of gone back to Bath. And, you know, obviously two of Pilates had sort of good moments for Glasgow and things like that. It's probably one of his better games for Scotland over the weekend. Yeah, I thought he was, he was pretty good. He seemed to combine quite nicely with, with Russell at a few points in attack. Um, I think his carrying was was reasonable. I don't think he was sort of busting any tackles, but um, he seemed to be trucking it up quite nicely. I, I still am not sure whether, like, and there's no counterfactual here, but whether picking Redpath would have been that much different. Um, okay. But, yeah, I think he was, he, he, he was reasonable. I still don't think the centres are really working. And I, I, I'm still not quite sure at the moment whether Harris is doing enough at 13 to warrant what I would say is kind of, you know, a lot of people say he's the first name in the team sheet. I, I don't think in attack he's sort of bringing enough either from his own attacking threat or yep. putting people in spaces, etc. I, th- I think I think at the end of this Autumn International, I think there, has, there does have to be a discussion about what, we want to get out of that center combination because it still just quite isn't working, you know, unlike, you know, our back three, for example. I believe you're calling for Chris Harris's head. That is sacrilege. 
I'm taking. I'm I'm coming out early. It's uh, I'm going for a. Like short red, term, red. yeah, short term pain. It's a very like 2016, pain. 17 opinion, Chris Harris. Can't be bringing that <laughs> up in twenty two. <laughs> Look, I'm 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 happy to read the the argument for, um, if if anyone wants to sort of submit it, but submit it by email, and then I can sort of come out with my argument against. Like he's clearly like a really solid player, right? And I'm sure, specifically in defence, I'm sure there is stuff that maybe I'm not quite seeing. You know, clearly he's very solid, but I don't quite see the sort of, you know, superstar defensive 13. But there's just part of me that in attack, I do feel like sometimes, and this isn't just Harris, this is includes Tupelotu or just how we're u- utilising our centres. It just feels like we're just not getting the best out of them from an attacking standpoint. Yeah, I think you're right. And we've got our headline as well. Alan calls for Harris to be dropped <laughs> for Argentina. <laughs> Pretty good, actually. That'll, that'll get some nice clicks, I think. That should do quite well. Um, should we look ahead quickly to Argentina? Obviously, we, we, we don't have the uh, the squad. The only thing we do know for certain is that Richie Gray has been cited and will not be available. Three-match ban um, for an incident against New Zealand. Um, Matt, I'll come to you. What sort of changes, if any, do you think we could see Tuni making for, for the Argentina test? Well, yeah, I think it, it looks as if Johnny Gray will come in replacing his brother and then maybe Glenn Young coming onto the bench and obviously Cam Hunter Hill um has, has from the co- got the call back up. in from the cold. I know, I know. Um been been forgiven for past indiscretions maybe. Um indiscretions that shall not be discussed. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> but fair play to him. Like you it's hard to ignore someone who's who's getting game time for Saracens. Um yeah. I think elsewhere um, it's it's difficult because this now becomes a must-win match, um, and I think even if we'd beaten Australia, you kind of think we could chop and change a little bit. Like you could maybe give Ashman or or Turner a start, um, particularly Ashman. Um, you could maybe bring in Bennett at thirteen, for instance. Um, but the fact that this is a must-win, I, I don't know if they'll make that many changes actually. Um, maybe Ben White comes in at nine. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think he deserves a start. Um, but but apart from that, uh, well, Watson's obviously going to be. It looks as if Watson might be out. Um, yeah, coming off of that HIA. So uh, yeah, maybe does Dempsey come in there? I don't know. I'm still not 100 percent sure if that's the best best balance. Um, so maybe someone like Andy Christie comes into the equation as well. Yeah, I was thinking Andy Christie. It feels like you maybe want to sort of tinker, but to your point, I think, you know, after the New Zealand match in Australia, just to kind of keep any sort of momentum going and keep sort of, you know, for Tooney especially, to keep it kind of the headlines in a sort, of, a sort of mainly positive direction. Yeah. feels like he needs a good win. And ultimately... It felt... Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Go on. I was just going to say... Did feel like after 14 minutes against New Zealand that tuning out was for the first time a genuine possibility. We were we were litigating what the threshold was. But yeah, he does seem to have sort of wrestled that back to um to, to sort of in the in the in the favourable column that unless we ship a huge number against Argentina, I, I think you've got to you've got to say that the chance of Tuni leaving is now next to zero. Yeah, 
No, and and I don't I don't really see us I don't see any plausible scenario in which we ship a lot to, to Argentina, especially because no. Argentina is sort of coming off the back of like some sort of like fourteen match like run over like three months. Like all the players must be like absolutely shattered. Yeah. Um. So no, I think sort of post off that that New Zealand game, I, I think it's Tunis leading us to the World Cup, and ultimately Dodson's number one job at the moment, is trying to make sure that Tooney and Finn are friends. That that should literally be his only KPI as CEO. <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll see. I, yeah, you said it. I think um, hopefully Finn, I think, plays this match. And again, Tooney was obviously very complimentary about him. But you're, sort of, you're just sort of hoping, obviously you don't know, but you're just hoping that there is some sort of like work happening in the background to sort of whether it's improve or whether it's just do enough that people can kind of get by. But I think the match of the weekend was just sort of another example of why Finn needs to be there for the, for the World Cup in, in some capacity. I think there just needs to be some sort of like non-hostility pact. Like, look, you don't need to be best friends, but we can all agree it's for the best of the, you know, the nation. And yeah, I would exactly. also speak to Finn. I would just be like, Finn stop giving rash interviews every time that like a camera is put in front of your face. And maybe if you go to Baines to get macaroni pie, go down in like your mum's Ford Fiesta rather yeah. than the Aston we can't, sh- we can't, We can't sand the edges too much on Finn. No, yeah, that's true. Like, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I do think there's just like times like whenever this stuff's going on, obviously the media want to hear from Finn. Finn's just really happy to like just chat to them and just air dirty laundry. And I just think it's really unhelpful. Maybe that would be my only thing that he, from the thin side of the ledger that he could maybe do. <laughs> we can, uh, we can maybe break it down. We're going to do the big, big wrap up next week. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll break it down. What, 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 what needs to happen for, uh, for Scotland to get out of the group in the world cup? Oh, big question. We need like a lasagna gate or something like that to take out like all of like South Africa and Ireland like front five, <laughs> essentially, right? Yeah, take out Johnny Sexton in particular. Yeah, like really targeted food poisoning in two two camps in uh, France would be my initial thoughts. Um, but yeah, as you say, we'll come back next week and do a big wrap up on the autumn and sort of rate where we are one year out from the World Cup. Um, but until then, we will be doing some live coverage on our Twitter account, as ever, at Thistle Rugby Pod throughout the weekend and some memes on uh, Instagram, Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. And as I say, we will get a newsletter out next week on Substack as well. Until then, come on, Scotland. Cheers. Cheers. I needed to wrap that up quickly because I've got... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.